Stuart Holman here with you again. Welcome to the third in our series of devotionals on Jesus' final week leading up to his arrest and crucifixion. Already we've felt the weight of Jesus' outright condemnation of the Jewish leadership and their religion, which they oversee at the Jerusalem temple. Israel's only hope is in God's power to save, in his enduring commitment to his people to bring his righteous rule to them. They must put their faith in him, not in their religion, such as it has become under a corrupt leadership. In Mark 12, Jesus continues to teach in the temple courts. He's just told a stinging parable of judgment against the religious leaders who are determined now to arrest him, to find a way to get rid of him, even though Jesus seems so popular with the crowds, or perhaps because he is so popular. And so now we see the first attempt to skewer Jesus, to make him both deeply unpopular as well as to blaspheme. So we're at Mark 12, verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now, by the way, the Herodians and the Pharisees hated each other. They had completely opposing views about their Roman overlords. The Herodians supported King Herod, the Roman puppet governor, arguing that look, living under Roman rule is so much better than being overrun and wiped out completely by them. Now, naturally, this position led to all sorts of compromises with the law of Moses. The Pharisees, on the other hand, insisted on absolute obedience to the law. They believed that when Israel perfectly obeyed the law, God would send his Messiah to overthrow the Romans for them. They were all for religious purity, which meant having nothing at all to do with Rome, so far as possible. So when the Pharisees and the Herodians team up to question Jesus, you know there's going to be trouble. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, there's the setup. Jesus, we think you're a great guy, so just give it to us straight. No need to be diplomatic among us. We're all friends here. And now here comes the bombshell. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, the Romans had been forcing the Jews to pay taxes to them since at least 6 BC. It was basically protection money that financed the Roman occupation. And there's the trap all set for Jesus. Is it right or wrong to pay the tax? If Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, then the Herodians will have him arrested for trying to start a revolt against the Romans. But if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then the Pharisees can denounce Jesus as a stooge for the Romans, an enemy of the true blue Jews, even an enemy of God. Here he is sending Israel back into slavery, this time under the Romans. There's the setup. Verse 15. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. 
bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So Jesus sees the trap straight away, so he calls for a coin, which would have outraged the Pharisees because, well, the Roman coin should not even be allowed in the temple area. It was a source of defilement. But it turns out there's plenty of Roman denarii readily at hand in the temple, and they bring one to Jesus. Now, the coin itself probably bore the image of Caesar on one side with an inscription on the other side saying, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. At least that's what the archaeologists keep digging up from the temple area, so we assume that's probably one of those coins. Verse 16, they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now the key word here is image. The coin bears the image of Caesar and it has his name on it, his inscription. Jesus says that they're to pay, literally to give back. What is Caesar's? The coin has got Caesar's image on it. His name is written on it. Just give back what already belongs to Caesar, says Jesus. But here's the twist. Jesus also says, now, in the same way, give over to God what is his. The coin bears the image of Caesar, but mankind bears the image of God. The coin has Caesar's name on it. Israel has God's name on them. They are the people of God, called by his name. They bear his image. They are to be fully given over to God. And the same is true for the Christian. So first things first. We are to be wholly given over to God. The Christian bears God's name and we are made in his image, our great privilege and responsibility as God's image bearers establishes our elevated place in creation, as well as our absolute accountability to God. We belong to him. Now, if this is as far as you get in today's devotional before you switch off, think on this. Do not withhold any part of your life or your person or yourself from God. God has created and made you. God has redeemed and blessed you. Give your whole self to God. That is the right response. But Jesus does actually have more to say than this. What stops the Herodians and the Pharisees in their tracks is that Jesus says we have obligations to both God and Caesar. This idea is often used as the basic argument for the separation of church and state. And I'm all for that in a secular society. But I wonder if Jesus' answer doesn't begin on entirely the opposite premise. Let me explain what I mean. When Jesus says, give to God what belongs to him and give to Caesar what belongs to him, he is not saying that life is either or, either spiritual or earthly divided down the middle. Now, in answering the Pharisees and the Herodians, doesn't Jesus assert that life is both spiritual and material all the time? We have two kinds of obligations, both to God and to other people, even governments and tax departments. 
God delegates Caesar's authority to him and allows it to coexist with God's authority for his purposes. So the exercise of both obligations is a matter of obedience to God. Why? Because it all ultimately belongs to God. We all belong to God completely in all of our dimensions. We cannot love God without loving our neighbour. We love both God and neighbour. The sphere of our love is both spiritual and inward and sacred, and at the same time, our love is to be practical, material, and it might even be commercial, impacting our finances, our business, and our taxes. We give back to Caesar what is his, and we give back to God what is his. There is one more step that Jesus has taken here beyond our dual obligations. There's more. Notice that Jesus' answer, notice what his answer does to the temple and its custodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians, Jesus says that people don't owe their allegiance to the temple or to the religious power brokers. He says that every human being belongs first of all to God. He is first before the religious authorities, before Caesar, before social customs, before our families, or even before well, ourselves, our duty towards ourselves. No, no, our first duty is to God. We're jumping the gun now on the conclusion to this chapter, but in the light of this reflection today, how can we not immediately remember the way in which Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament, everything that the people of Israel were supposed to know and to do the principle that was the foundation of the Jerusalem temple and all that it was supposed to stand for. Jesus says that the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For your reflection today, is there a part of your life which you have sectioned off from God, where you have decided that the separation of church and state actually applies to your life as a person, where you've separated the spiritual from the practical? Is there a new way that you want to love your neighbour as an expression of your love for God? Is there a new way that you want to express your love for God, giving him your all, every part of your image-bearing life?